Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Sam Edmund. While many say AFL footy is a young man's game, but today's guest proves that doesn't always ring true. James Podziadley was drafted by Essendon in 1999, yet didn't make his AFL debut for Geelong until 2010. The key forward was an overnight sensation more than a decade in the making. The J-Pod's AFL journey consisted of 104 games, 195 goals, and a premiership in 2011. But his journey just to get there is arguably more impressive. James, welcome, and thanks so much for your time. Julian, uh, thanks for thinking of me, and uh, glad to be here. Before we get stuck into the journey, and and particularly early on what you're doing now, but your story, the fact that you, you came into the game so late and had so much success. Do you think, in a bit of a way, you're a bit of a pioneer and you changed the way recruiters thought about drafting players that might have been in their mid to late 20s? Probably a good, probably a question for all those expert recruiters out there, but I think um, I mean, yeah, my journey was a, was a long one. There was obviously some frustrating times within it where I thought that I uh, you know, selfishly might have got uh, a chance and was probably ready for a chance but looking back at it, the 10 or so years at that uh, at that second tier level actually probably made me as a, as a player and then it also made me as a person too so um yeah i reflect on that that time and feel very fortunate i actually did get an opportunity at at 28 in the end we'll go back through the journey shortly and it's going to be hard to fit into 40 minutes because there's so many twists (laughs) and turns but you you are still involved in footy although at a very different level tell us about afl max yeah good uh thanks for uh asking the question around that julian i mean yeah afl max is a business that i um that i started with some uh other investors and some other co-founders as well uh back in 2019 so a concept that i played around with while i was playing actually and conceptualized when i was coaching but essentially um we've got a venue in adelaide it's an entertainment and education venue so we've got uh, six different sort of activity zones everything from climbing walls to digital screens to a skills zone for footies and, and trampolines etc um we do everything from you know birthday parties to you know school holiday programs um and then our biggest growth here at the moment is our education stuff that we do well-being programs leadership programs for schools overnight camps uh, and we also do run the occasional um you know uh, football academy or football program too so um yes the afl brand um is attached to us um the afl uh, fortunately for us is an, is, is an equity stakeholder so they um they, we work really closely with them so that's probably my my closest involvement to footy at the moment on this particular project and uh, but the reality of our business is that you know it's it's more than just footy um, and it's something that uh, we're really proud of. And now it's just uh, about expanding, hopefully, all across the country. So you mentioned there that you, it was an idea you thought of while you were playing footy. What was the sort of light bulb moment that, that gave you the idea for the concept? Mate, great question. I think uh, I've always been pretty passionate about 
health and physical activity and and, and well-being with my with my background and um, my true passion is about getting kids active and I used to see um, you know when I was playing at Geelong and then coaching at the Crows kids of players and kids of coaches used to come into the footy club and just be active and they'd be kicking balls at targets tackling bags you know jumping into stuff um, etc and then the light bulb sort of came off around can we actually leverage the feel of an elite sporting club and the AFL brand essentially to get kids more active in a fun way I suppose and it's it taken away the traditional pathways of kids getting into the game in terms of just you know doing Auskick and then playing at a club I thought there was maybe a better way and the light bulb sort of hit when I used to see these kids do that and at the same time you used to hear about the play center model the trampoline park model how that was working from a profitability perspective and a, and a community engagement perspective and I just thought can we combine the two? And it's really essentially stemmed from there. So as you mentioned, you like to expand it around the country, obviously. But apart from that, is it if you sort of got a grand plan of where you would like it to get to and what sort of opportunities it, it might provide? Yeah, there's, there's a grand plan in, in business. But I think like in football, there's always a grand plan about um, you know winning a premiership at the end of the year. I think we've got to be pretty fluid. The environment in the last three years has mm. probably taught me that um, a lot. But there's no doubt that um, we believe that our business, the way it's going right now, the venue in Adelaide, um, the last six months have been um, quite good. So for us, we'd love to see one in every state, if not multiple multiple venues in every state. Um, our priority is getting one of these or two of these in Melbourne pretty quickly. Um, so hopefully we've got some news around that in the next um, three to four months, which is um, something I'm working on tirelessly at the moment, but you know, working with some pretty good property developers and, and landlords at the moment to find it, find the right location. But um, So the grand plan is to have all these across the country, Matt. It's been a pretty interesting journey for you post your retirement in 2015. I guess like a lot of players, you went into some coaching with Adelaide uh, for a couple of years. Then you got a job at the AFL, uh, you know, alongside someone you know really well and was, I think, a pretty big influence on you and Steve Hocking. Uh, David Rath also joined at the same sort of time. It was a pretty significant time for the AFL where there's a lot of talk about the game and where's it heading? Is it getting a bit dull? And, and Steve ultimately, you know, made some pretty significant changes, which if you look at footy in 2022, you have to say he made a lot of good changes. What, what are your sort of memories of, of that time working in at the AFL? Yeah, on reflection, Julian, it's a great question. I mean, going into the role um, at the AFL, I didn't know. I think Hock was the same and Rathi was the same. We didn't, probably didn't know what we're getting ourselves into. And then the opportunity around the game and looking at it differently than what it's been looked at in the past was there. And I think um, Hawk, you know, Hawk was an amazing leader in that space. We worked pretty closely, but I think the commission also gave Hawk a license to actually explore. And I think what we did um, at the time was, you know, at the same time I was starting a business. So I basically managed the, or we managed the project on the, the game and the rules like it was a startup and it was, it was like project management. And what uh, we believe at the time, and Hock was big on this, was trying to engage as many people from past players to current players, to current coaches, to past coaches, to media, the amount of stakeholder work that we did um, over that so 12 months was was phenomenal phenomenal so yeah there was a really a really great experience for me and I actually learned um, in that time that the game is a lot broader than what you think as a player or as a coach and the amount of people that it impacts is just huge so the importance of looking after the game and the spectacle and and the players within it I think just was so important was it as you said there's so many people were engaged in that process and asked their opinion even people in the media like Jared Waitley I think were involved was there can you remember one radical proposal that was thrown up or that you looked at you thought wow 
that 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 is left field. Julian, I can tell you that I've still got the document um, with me that's got all the different rule um, tweaks that we wanted to that we looked at, and that started with about sixty, mate. And there were some radical ones out there. And but what we did alongside of all the ideas that we we're getting from the industry and some of the ideas we had from ourselves is. We basically put like a decision-making funnel um, along the side of it and just plugged ideas into the funnel. And if they didn't meet, um, you know, the purpose of the AFL, or they didn't meet the, the 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 way the commission or the way the industry sort of, or the tradition of the game, it sort of didn't make it through a, a layer. So one of the ones was, if you want to open up the game, let's just do 16 aside, yeah. right? Which great idea, simple solution. You know, most um, AFL teams during preseason would train 16 aside because, you know, the, the ball moves a bit quicker. It's harder to defend. So coaches use it as a bit of an overreaching training tool, right? But you just take away from the heritage of the game. So that didn't make it through the next layer because it was too against the heritage. But there was a heap of different stuff that we... That we looked at, mate. There was sixty different things. Yeah, I think he's done a pretty good job, Steve Hawking. Just on Steve, how big an influence has he been on your career? And I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but your life as well. Now, I met I met Hawk um, in the end of 2008 when he gave me an opportunity to work in the S and C team um, at Geelong uh, at that time, and then you know gave me you know, him and the I suppose football department then gave me an opportunity to play, which was unbelievable. But Look, I think um, everyone speaks so highly of Hawk. I think the way uh, – I don't think I've met a better leader of people in my time, um, both in business now and in um, and in, and in sport. I think uh, Hawk has got an amazing sense of like – he's got this amazing sort of gut feel on, um, on people. And I think he just naturally leads – um, that way, and that's probably his, his greatest strength. And I think now that he's the CEO and the stuff that he did the AFL, I think some people might um, not disregard, but underestimate his business acumen as well. Um, and I think he's got that in got that in spades. And um, but his his ability to lead people on guard instinct is um, is something that uh, yeah I look up to. Often for players transitioning out of AFL footy is really difficult. But for you, I guess the assumption would be, given the way your career panned out and you were living in the real world really for for 10 years after your debut working and studying it it would have been a pretty seamless transition for you out of playing was that the case or was it still difficult for you no i think i think every player that finishes playing at the elite level or even sub elite level there's definitely difficulties in transitioning out of out of playing and i think my difficulties i suppose didn't come from necessarily knowing what the opportunities were when it came to a career it was more around the the stuff that you miss in terms of like you just prepared you, you prepare every day to you know go to battle every week like i probably missed the physicality of playing football and in that sort of two year period when i was coaching at the crows i kind of scratched that itch and 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 jumped and did some contested marking with the players <laughs> etc i think that for me was my biggest i suppose gap in life was that on a weekend you just go out into battle and it Probably took me, we can talk about this later. We probably took me a bit of time to learn how to be physical as a player. Um, but my last, you know, sort of eight or so years, I actually enjoyed that part of the game. Um, and I kind of missed it um, there for a period after after retiring, but I don't miss it now. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I don't blame you. You're listening to This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So after the break, we'll go back to where it all started for James Podziadley, Melbourne's Inner West. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to 2011 Geelong Premiership forward, James Podziadley. James' childhood grew up in Spotswood in Melbourne's inner west. I think most people in Melbourne have probably been to Spotswood because they've taken their kids to Science Works. Uh, what, what are your memories of uh, growing up in, in the inner west and, and how many in the, in the Podziadley family? Well, just on the Science Works thing, I was actually in grade six when Science Works first opened yeah. and my school was just down a rope and fight Science Works and I was very fortunate enough to be the first um, bunch of kids let in, uh, let into Science Works to explore all the... Um, the cool tech they had back in those days. But uh, so, yeah, Science Works actually, uh, I've got great memories of that place. But, yeah, mum uh, was a single mum. Uh, I've got a younger sister. Um, we were very fortunate. We grew up in a um, pretty pretty good area, um, grandparents around the corner, also in Spotswood. So, uh, and then, you know, played tennis and lacrosse and all my sports in that area too. So, um, yeah, and, and mum still lives there and I, I get back there a bit. So, Podsy Adley, it's of Polish descent. Uh your grandfather has a, a remarkable story. He's had a, he had a remarkable life. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, Podsy Adley, um, bo- both sides of my family um, he, uh, are Polish heritage. And uh, my grandfather, who you mentioned, uh, from my mum's side, his last name was Jubik. And, yeah, obviously I was really close. Um, you know, dad left at an early age. And my grandfather became, I suppose, the, the father figure in my life. Um, would come to all the sports I played and, you know, drive me around, etc. But... We would see them every day, um, like I'm sure a lot of people out there would see their their grandkids as well. Um, yeah, so my grandfather, I suppose, um, was a, a, a soldier in the Polish army. Uh, I found that fascinating. Um, so over my sort of teenage years, I used to sit there and ask him questions about what went on during those times. And and um, he was in a concentration camp and then you know, worked on a farm in Germany, etc. And and he'd never been back after and after the war. And I got a chance to actually go back and see his brother and sister. I think it was um, just before he passed away. Um, so um, I, you know, got to see a, a place where he grew up and and um, got to meet his family. And then he passed away. I think the year I started playing, the year before I started playing AFL, and I did the eulogy at his funeral. Um, he had, uh, I think he had, he's got four grandkids and I did the eulogy and I, I worked out my uncle and my mum spoke to me after it and said that the stuff that I talked about in the eulogy was the first stuff they actually, the first time they'd heard some of the stuff from the war because he didn't really talk about the war with his kids. I think, you know, think about that generation probably being a little bit embarrassed about what went on, etc. But to me, he shared it all with me and I was um, just fascinated about the journey. So I think, yeah, for me, the resilience that that generation showed and the grit they needed, to, they needed to have has probably lived with me for a while. Yeah, he sounded like a, a remarkable man. As you touched on there, like a lot of young kids, you, you love playing sport, you tried a variety of sports, but fair to say Aussie rules wasn't wasn't the first love? No, no, it definitely wasn't. I mean, my, my first love was definitely tennis. Like I just, um, I was obsessed with it and wanted to, you know, like most kids at that age was, I wanted to be the next Pat Rafter and, and um, play Wimbledon and all that sort of stuff, but I just wasn't, at that level and then I thought tennis coaching was my was my forever job but um yeah so I think at the age of 17 I um was playing tennis at a decent level but uh, I thought I'd just try footy in the winter 
and then go back to tennis in the summer and and uh, and then footy sort of took over. So So as a tennis player, are you a left were you a left hander? You're left footer, no, you left handed. Right right yeah. handed. Serve volley? Um, serve volley, yeah, serve volley. So I did try and model my game on um Pat Rafter. Uh, and and Stefan Edberg were my two favourite players, and they'll both serve volleys. Absolutely. And so so how did footy begin? Who got you into p- playing some local footy? Yeah, it was um, it was actually just through school. I played um, some school footy at uh, at St Paul's College in Altona North. The the teacher there, um, Shane Billsborough, then sort of um, you know said that potentially let's get the Western Jets to come have a look at you. At the same time. A couple of guys that were playing in that team said, why don't you come and play under-18s at Yarraville, which is around the corner from from Spotty. So um, I played a game or, or maybe three or four games there. Uh, but then the Western Jets um, kind of looked at a couple of school games and they invited me to to train. It was probably about round five, around six of the season in the Tap Cup back then. And ended up, I did one week of training and they put me into the game and, and the next week, essentially. And it sort of happened really quickly. Ended up playing 11 games for the Jets um, that year. And then in the rookie draft, you're picked up by the Bombers, the minor premiers in uh, 1999, and you're at Essendon all of a sudden after playing a handful of games for the Western Jets. What, what was going through your mind? This is pretty easy, <laughs> to be to be completely transparent. I mean, Adrian Adora, who's amazingly still the recruiting or list manager at um, Essendon, um, gave me a call and said, why don't you come to a preseason? And I was like, oh, this would be a great sort of, opportunity and the next minute I'm being rookie listed uh, and you're training with players that you you know because I didn't grow up into in the football but you knew the Matthew Lloyds and the James Herds and the Scott Lucas of the world and all of a sudden you're in there training with them but my reflection of that time was I, I just wasn't mentally or physically ready to be an AFL footballer uh, mentally I was still immature um, and the fact that it you know you get put on a list and you're 18 with a bit of an ego <laughs> Um, you think that you've made it, but the reality is you haven't. Um, it's just an opportunity or a stepping stone to get there. So yeah, I probably learned those two years I was at Essendon, and they were they made they made grand finals. They won a premiership. I learned a lot. I saw the way you know Matthew Lloyd prepared. I saw the amount of work that a James Heard did, and these guys were you think they're the superstars of the comp, but they're just natural talents. But the fact of the matter is they worked harder than anyone. So there's a couple of good lessons out of that. It's an amazing introduction if you look at your first two clubs. You've touched on it there, you know. Your first two senior coaches, Kevin Sheedy and Mick Malthouse. Teammates including James Heard, Matthew Lloyd, Nathan Buckley, Anthony Rocker. And then one of your first opponents in a pre-season game is the greatest goal kicker we've ever seen. It was an interesting start. Yeah. Well, yeah, then uh, that was must have been two, uh, 2002. I was on uh, Collins' rookie list. Um, and then, yeah, Mick Malthouse that gave me an opportunity to play. In, I think it was the Wizard Cup back then. Yep. Um, and it was actually Tony Lockett's return game from his retirement and Barry Hall was then up there as well as a, as a key forward and uh, Mick had trained me in the back line uh, all that pre-season uh, essentially so I got given an opportunity to play against them and yeah I had to line up on um, Tony Lockett and and, and, and uh, Barry Hall that game and essentially you know can't really remember what the, the game was but I remember the next day um, Tony Lockett actually put me in a headlock uh, and it was on the front page of the age on Plugger's comeback that he was back to his avenging best. And I thought, well, there's my 15 minutes of fame. The greatest goal kicker of all time has got me in a headlock on the front page of the paper. Um, but sort of, yeah, that's sort of where it, uh, where I thought it might have just peaked. Is that why you went back to the forward line? So you didn't have to play on blokes like Hall and Lockett ever again? <laughs> well, uh, well, I actually learned that, um, you know, yeah, I think even now, but back in the day, everyone talked about defenders being the aggressors, but I learned in that game that the, uh, 
but the forwards um, can be the aggressors, and it's probably another thing that I took out of that that period of time. That um, as a forward, you uh, you need to you get on the front foot and be proactive. Uh, you're with this is your journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with James Podziadley right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is former Geelong and Adelaide star James Podziadley. Spent some time at Essendon, you spent some time at Collingwood. Apart from a couple of Wizard Cup games, no senior footy, delisted. So what was the sort of mindset and the ambition at, at this stage? I was pretty motivated, to be to be honest. Getting a taste of um, training and playing with those the colour of people you mentioned before um, got me pretty motivated. Um, into that delisting, I uh, did a pre-season at Geelong um, under Bomber Thompson. Uh, had a few mates that were uh, that were at Geelong and and um, got to stay with them and did the whole pre-season over the summer and got myself relatively fit. Um, but there, but um, yeah, same sort of thing happened. Was uh, you know Geelong probably didn't see um, anything that I could impact their team at that point in time. So I went to I went to Werribee and made a decision to. Um, play um, play my VFL career out there. And what a great decision that was. A remarkable career at Werribee, going to captain the club. You win a Liston medal, a Frosty Miller medal, for those that don't know, leading goalkeeper in the VFL. Nick Sorter had won it six years in a row uh, until you, you knocked him off. The only thing you didn't quite get there was a premiership at Werribee. Why was James Podsy Adley and Werribee such a, a good fit for each other? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I think I talk about this a little bit in some of the stuff that we do in business now, but I think um, it actually just made me, made me um, force me to make, to mature. I think that being put in a leadership group in my first year there and then being made captain or vice captain in my second year and captain in my third year, it almost like um, I didn't see myself at the previous clubs as a leader, but all of a sudden you go to a Werribee and people looking up to you because you've been part of, you know, AFL environments. So that sort of forced me to mature. And then at the same time, I was doing an exercise science degree, learning about how to get fit, how to get strong. You know, I was running a little business as well. So all these sort of things just um, accumulated into me becoming a better person, a better leader off the field. But then on the field, um, all the stuff that people were telling me over the years that I wasn't good at, I just went away and worked on. And essentially just sort of all came together where I would, you know, without saying too um, arrogant, I'd rock up to a game knowing I would dominate um, a VFL game um, a couple of years in. So, and that's something I never had essentially before that. So what were those things that you needed to get better at? Well, I think every club, I think I did, uh, you know, you mentioned the two clubs. There was Geelong, uh, there was Richmond, Sydney, Bulldogs, and there might have been another one across the bat. All of them had something different for me to work on. So, you know, one said I was too slow. One said I wasn't fit enough aerobically. One said I was too soft. Um, one, I wasn't strong enough, um, et cetera. So all those different years I'd go away and I'd get a track coach and work on my speed. Um, the you know, after being told I was soft, I'd, I'd go and do boxing and I don't recommend this to, you know, players at the moment, but I just learned how to get punched in the head and you just get that confidence uh, and you also learn how to punch back too. So that gave me a bit of confidence 
um, in that space. You know, I, I wasn't a very good swimmer, but I knew that that would help my cardio. So I'd jump in the pool. And at that time, I'd, I met a good mate of mine, Dom Gleason, who ended up being the, the captain of the Werribee um, after I left. Him and I used to train every Saturday morning in the pool. Um, so he taught me a lot about aerobic capacity. So, mate, it wasn't one thing. It's just a cu- accumulation of me working on my deficiencies, but then actually also learning that these are my strengths. I need to leverage them in the game. Um, and it came together. So as you mentioned there, there was during that six years at Werribee, there were several tryouts with a whole host of AFL clubs. But how many other offers at that time did you have to maybe go to another VFL club or go to the bush on good money at that time, yeah. given you were so dominant at the, the next level down? Yeah, I mean, there was a handful every year, like South Australian and Waffle Clubs. I remember flying to South Australia a number of times to look at, do I do I take my sort of craft over here? And and the money was a lot better, et cetera. And then there was the country offers where the, the money would have been, you know, triple what I was getting at Werribee. Um, sometimes, you know, the stuff in South Australia was quadruple. But, um, yeah, I just didn't, uh, I didn't think about, the money back then. I think I developed some really strong relationships and connections, friends that I've got now from Werribee. And for me, it was about doing some of the stuff I was doing off field um, as well. And I found it really tough. We'll talk about me leaving Werribee. I found it tough leaving, um, but I didn't really entertain those bigger money offers because of money. Uh, it was more about um, wanting to become a, a life member at Werribee and win a premiership. Yeah, I'll get to that in a sec, uh, leaving Werribee. But just, we spoke to Dale Morris on this program probably 18 months ago, another person that went through Werribee and a similar battle to get an opportunity like you. Through all those tryouts, particularly in that Werribee time with the AFL clubs that you mentioned, was there one that you just thought, this is just not going to happen? Like, this is not going <laughs> to happen for me? Or was that several times? Oh, mate. Yeah, the, I mean... The the Bulldogs was one that uh, I trained with the Bulldogs across the course of the year, like one day a week. And Alan Richardson, um, who we know went on to coach uh, St Kilda and now is at Melbourne. I remember working pretty closely with him in development um, on my craft and on my game um, during the week. Leon Cameron, I think, was there as well. He was he was great. Um, and I got to uh, did the whole preseason, and I remember having a meeting with Rodney Ede, um, and it might have been their footy manager at the time, which escapes me now. Um, but at, just before the draft, and he asked me, um, now you've done the preseason, blah, 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 you've been a part of Werribee, you've, you've dominated, et cetera, this. Where do you see yourself in the Bulldogs team? And he had his team on the board. Yep. I sort of said, oh, it was, he had Chris Grant in the full, full forward. And <laughs> I think I said, oh, I'm, I think I could be the forward pocket and be the second tall. He goes, well, that's, that's, that's Luke Darcy's. And I, and um, I sort of just froze. I was like, oh, yeah, no, well, okay. Well, in my head, I was like, oh, that's Luke Darcy's. But at the time, I should have probably challenged him and sort of said, nah, mate, I reckon that um, Luke Darcy's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I reckon I could be the second key forward at this club. So there was that opportunity. And then there was the opportunity at Richmond under Terry Wallace, did a whole preseason there. And um, they asked to change an AFL rule to get me on the list, which is the mature age rookie rule, which ended up being changed later on. And they looked at me in the preseason draft and they decided to go with Kent Kingsley instead of um, instead of me. Um, so that was, you know, they're the probably two that probably stood out the most where I thought I could have definitely played in the Bulldogs team um, over a period of time. At the end. And then the Richmond uh, I can't remember what the year was. I remember I was being, I was ridiculously fit. I got my body to a level of, um, you know, AFL sort of style fitness. And I thought I could actually play there, but um, 
anyway. So, as you said before, it was really hard for you to leave Werribee. You were royalty at Werribee. You loved them. They loved you. So, why the move to Geelong? Yeah, I think it, um, it sort of just culminated with my with finishing a degree in exercise science. I saw my, my career progression as being, you know, a, a sporting team high-performance manager, sort of what I wanted to uh, aspire to be. Um, and then uh, I just won the Liston Trophy, which you mentioned, that year. Um, and Geelong just sort of came to me and sort of said, look, we got, I think it was James Byrne was their captain. He was moving on. They had a, a spot in their VFL team as a captain. Um, there was an opening to work, um, you know, in Hawks team in high performance. Um, so, yeah, they just sort of carried me through my relationships I had at, the Ge- at Geelong at the time. It was a tough decision not to go. It was a tough, tough decision to leave, but uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad I made it, mate. So was there any inkling when you made that move to Geelong that, if this goes well, I might get my crack at senior footy with Geelong? Mate, not one bit. Not not one bit. I wouldn't lie to you. I'd, I... I Went there um, thinking about, you know, playing in the VFL. Um, Dale Amos was the coach back then. I, I met him, was the captain, which was which was great from a leadership perspective. But it was me about focusing on learning off um, elite high-performance people and maybe one day being able to manage my own program. Um, so um, they'd just come off a grand final loss in 08. Um, they won in 07, obviously, so... For me, it's about thinking about learning off the best, and it was nothing about playing elite football. We're talking to James Podziadley on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back right after this break to discuss the J-Pod becoming even more popular than the iPod at Cadinia Park. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. James Podziadley has been our guest today. Well, James, you certainly seem to determined to make up for lost time. 49 goals from 19 games in 2010 including six bags of five in your first 11 games, 13 Brownlow votes, and instant cult hero status. Did you surprise yourself with the impact you made straight away? Um, no one's ever asked me that question, actually, Julian, but uh, probably yes and and no. No, that uh, I probably had the belief uh, that I could actually match it with um, match it with the best um, and... and and I suppose uh, compete at that level. Um, so I didn't really think that that was um, part, but I think the other component was that I was actually fortunate to be a part of a really good team. And some of the stats that you read out was probably some of the, um, yes, I had to um, execute that, but but being a part of a pretty good team in that era um, allowed me to actually go to work. And, you know, when you're getting delivery from a Gary Ablett or a Joel Selwood in that time, uh, and you're playing alongside Cam Mooney and Tom Hawkins, maybe the attention wasn't on the early days. Um, so I probably snuck away with, uh, with a few bags. Potsy Ardley will come in and kick the goal. His first goal in league footy. But Potsy Ardley deep. It goes in that direction. He'll drop back. Potsy Ardley! 25 metres out. 
Good drop, good goal. Geelong are back in front. It's interesting, though, in this game because, you know, you're getting a lot of praise early. And then I think it was probably about midway through your second year, there was this sort of narrative going around that James Podsy Adley doesn't kick goals away from Cadinia Park. Was it something that irked you? No, yeah, I remember, I remember that. It was actually my um, in my first year. Um, I remember being um, challenged in a post-game radio interview. I can't remember who it was. Is it Mark um, McClure, maybe? Yeah, 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 that's right. And he um, and he talked about that I was – I can't remember the wording he used, but it sort of alluded to the fact that I only was only good at Skilled Stadium. And I was I – I didn't think of it at the time. It was, wasn't anything that um, I, I thought of. But um, so it sort of – it um, irked me a little bit. This is a really important kick for the confidence of, uh, of Potsy Adley because he's record away from skilled stadium as far as kicking goals. He needs to get goals away from home, Luke. And he's he's very sensitive about it. Yes. If you bring it up with him, he's not happy about you questioning. He, that he does McClure, did well, he? Is, he did give Mark McClure a whack. The respect factor is they've got their best defender playing on him, Josh Gibson. Always a bit of fun, though, isn't that? Well, isn't giving Mark McClure a whack? Here's Podsy Adley. Beautiful shot for goal. And the Cats increase their lead. But I think, end of the day, like, AFL, no matter where you play, AFL is the AFL. Um, and it's a, it's a challenging sport. It's a, um, a challenging game to play. So, yes, I kicked a few bags of five at skill, but I also kicked some goals elsewhere. And sometimes in the other games, it wasn't my turn to kick goals. It was Hawkeys or Cam Mooney's or Matty Stokes or Stevie Johnson. So um, the team at that time wasn't relying on one one guy, which was kicking goals. It was a mix. And I think that my time just happened to be those skilled stadium games. So your first year's under Bomber Thompson. The team loses in a prelim uh, to Collingwood. Bomber goes. Chris Scott comes in. You kick 52 goals, and it's just all going along nicely again. Grand final appearance this time. Yet, midway through the second quarter, you're lying on the MCG in front of 100,000 people in agony. Dislocated shoulder by the looks yeah. of things, boys. The pass cracked, uh, crashed in and around him. Unbelievable. Mitch Duncan, the sub, has just come onto the ground. So Mitch Duncan is on the ground. They are still holding the red vest, which you imagine will go to Podsy Adley. Massive story. Podsy Adley done for the day. I mean... What was, I don't know. What was going through your mind at that time? Um, not a lot of parts and like the, I suppose, acute pain that I was in. And it wasn't anything. It was pretty hard to think about anything else at the time. I mean, that year, um, 2011, was just a, a great year. Podsy Adley's on deep, and that's where it goes. He's in front doing all the right things. Oh. He's done it again. <laughs> it fell on his head. I tell you what, when you're hot, you're hot. But at the moment, he cannot do a thing wrong. You know, they talk about athletes having days when they're in the zone, Wolsey, and, and, and everything. He, at the moment, every time it comes here, he's just going, I'll get this. Give it oh. to me. It'll bounce off my nose. I'll still mark it. <laughs> keeping his eyes on the footy rock. When he's trying to run away from the footy, it comes oh. to him. That's 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 how good a night he's having. He's got his eyes closed. Six marks, ten disposals. Six goals, one for James Podsy Adley. Geelong lead by 19 points. Six goals in a half. Four goals in a 10-minute burst to the pod. I mean, you mentioned Scotty coming in. I think, um, you know, I, I spent two years at Geelong on the Bomber. Um, Scotty came in and Bomber was fantastic for that group. Um, and, but Scotty came in and for some reason just re, refreshed everyone, as a new coach does, but also gave a lot of people clarity around roles. Um, he did an amazing job there. And we did also tinker with the way we defended. Um, so for him to, I know there's a lot of, rhetoric around um, Scotty winning his premiership last year and it's probably his one but I think he actually had a lot 
of impact in 2011 and a lot that he doesn't get credit for um, personally. So, I mean, to be a part of that team was fantastic. And yeah, grand final day, the the week leading in the grand final was was great. We were really confident internally that we could uh, we we're going to knock Collingwood off that uh, that day. And then the week after was obviously pretty exciting. But my you know game being cut short was just part of uh, part of the story. And and um, fortunately enough, we got it done at the end of the day. So the man that sort of took over your forward role that day is Tom Hawkins, who's still going yep. pretty strong in 2022. Now, amazing. Let's be honest here. There's no room for modesty. If you don't go down, then he's not the player he is today. You, you made Tom Hawkins with that injury. <laughs> No, well, no. I think I think if you if you go back to that um, that sort of four or five week period, I think leading into that um, twenty eleven, I think Tom's form was probably a little bit indifferent in the mid part of the year, and I think um, he came through a really um, great training period in my memory um, and came out and really played well the last couple of rounds of the year, and then I think uh, myself and him that final series things just worked really well. Um, uh, he was. You know, one grabbing his marks um, and, you know, so was I, I suppose, and we were just working in terms. So I think the the spotlight on grand final um, and Tom ripping the game apart was unbelievable. Um, but I think he's got to get some credit for the the six weeks before that was actually pretty pretty solid footy. Not the way that the J-Pop would have expected to win a premiership medal, but I'm sure he won't be complaining. It is an extraordinary story. To be their fitness coach two years ago and now a premiership player on the field. So you're getting your medal, you've got the sling on, you're probably still in pain or you've had the, the magic green stick and it might have gone. But I remember watching the celebrations. There was no mixed emotions there for you despite the injury and the pain. It, what, given the journey you'd had, what what was the thoughts as you get, you're going up and getting an AFL premiership medal? Oh, really grateful, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm good mates with um, Matty Egan who mm. experienced... Um, you know, all Australian in 2007, um, watch the team win that week. We win their seven, watch the team win an 09, um, you know, missed uh, being a premiership player. Um, you know, noted as a premiership player, but everyone at Geelong still sees him that way because of his foot injury. And I happened to get injured on, on grand final day and got a premiership medallion. So I actually, I did have a thought about Matty Egan um, at that time. And uh, I was fortunate to, to be a part of, you know, the ultimate success, but I still see that he does. Uh, and then just um, unbelievable, like the euphoria that you get, as you see every year, is just, um, it's hard to control. So I was pretty, I was probably even over the top maybe a little bit, but I was pretty excited. Yeah, I think you you deserve to go over the top. So and then <laughs> the next two years, um, the Cats don't quite get there. You kick 68 goals over the next two years, but then it, then it's all over at Geelong at the end of 2013. Was it was it an abrupt end for you? Yeah, it did, it did feel a bit abrupt. I mean, the... Uh, 2013, yeah, I thought we actually had a decent team to to win again um, without going back into too much detail. I think we actually, as a team, overtrained during that year. We probably got a little bit overconfident in our preparation that we thought that we were going to challenge for a flag. And I think we tried to get too fit. And a lot of players got to that final series were a bit fatigued. And I think that that sort of showed showed in our game. So that was a bit of a a frustrating um, thing to go out on that. Um, but I, I still definitely felt that I had um, some more games in me. Um, we had those convers- I had those conversations with the club. Um, there was you know, talk of a new contract at the start of the final series. But then when you lose a prelim, um, sides need to make tough decisions. And Geelong has probably been the benchmark on making tough decisions and making sure the club progresses forward. Um, but... Yeah, at the time, yes, it was ended abruptly, but there was no, there was no, um, you know, 
ill or, or badness um, sort of headed towards Geelong, I was grateful for the fact that they gave me an opportunity in the start, start. So you move on. And then over the border, off to the Crows. Uh, first year, 26 goals, I think fourth in the competition uh, for contested marks. Then, I mean, you've won so many things in the game, AFL Premiership, you know, Liston, Frosty Millers, Best and Ferris, all these sort of things. But 2015, you don't play a senior game for Adelaide in what was a tragic year for the footy club. And you named Best Clubman. What what, what did that yeah. mean to you? Oh, yeah, that's, um, glad you brought that up. I think out of all the fortunate awards that I've won, that was probably the one that um, I, I treasure the most in a, in a year with the Phil Walsh staff. Um, being the oldest player on the list and um, learning a lot about leadership over my journey to get that award that's you know, voted by the players and the coaches and the admin staff was was humbling but I was really proud of it to be honest um, and yeah 20 and 2015 um, Phil Walsh came in and it was an amazing amazing pre-season that um, the the players there went through it's, it's something that I've never seen in the past the amount of work that we had to do um, etc over that time but um, yeah I think I, uh, I broke a vertebrae in my back around uh, one that year and sort of missed six weeks um, and I was playing in the back line so then um, when one of the back line players went down in the AFL team you know I was I was injured so but the reality of it is I, I think that I was probably mentally not right to play at the AFL level that year anyway and I was probably more conversations I had with Phil at the start of that year was I was going to be a backup and that's okay so I had to play that role and just finally before we let you go just an easy one to finish you mentioned all the great players you play with at Geelong and then you go to Adelaide there's some decent players there too Rory Sloan and uh, Tex Walker Paddy Dangerfield who was the best that you played with mate um, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah it's a tough one to answer and all the names that you mentioned are all relevant um, but I think the opportunity that I've seen and what I've been exposed to. I think it's the connection between the players and the the ability to train a game plan and execute a game plan um, is the difference between um, the wins and losses and the premierships and no, no premierships. Um, and sometimes, you know, the fact that you win a lot of games, your name gets put in the lights a bit more. Um, but I, it's, hard to, it's hard for me to give you. I mean, you, you haven't mentioned Corey Enright, Matty Scarlett, uh, Cameron Ling was a gun. You know, Joel Sal would be talked about. I think I'll tell you one of the most underrated. I'll give you I'll give you the most underrated player I played with that doesn't get a lot of the kudos that the names you mentioned is probably Joel Corey. Yep. I think Joel Corey um was the epitome of what Geelong was, never had any limelight, but um was a contested beast. Um, worked his craft unbelievably well, could play multiple positions, and actually delivered the ball pretty well into the forward line. Um, doesn't get a lot of credit, but I think he's the most underrated I've played with. Well, he's his own worst enemy. He never spoke to us. We never knew anything about him. <laughs> would have been he, nice he, to he get to know him. He never spoke to his teammates, mate. I don't know who's <laughs> going to speak to the media. But, yeah, he's a lovely guy and an absolute um, gun of a footballer and, and a good coach at the moment too. Well, James, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Your journey is, is certainly unique, and I'm sure it's one that's been used many times as an inspiration for those looking for their big break, whether it's footy or in other sports or in business. You certainly left a mark on every club you played for, and your journey wasn't just enjoyed by Cats fans and Crows fans. It was enjoyed by uh, footy fans in general. Well done on everything you achieved. Continued success with AFL Max. Let's hope they bob up all around the country, and uh, thanks for sharing your journey with us. Ah, thanks, Julian. Thanks for your time, mate, and uh, great show. So, well done. And thank you for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? 
Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.